Welcome to Communicating Care, a podcast of the Just Transition Collaborative at the University of Colorado Boulder, where we talk about the ways environmental and climate justice advocacy are motivated by express and foster care. On this podcast, we listen more deeply to people who have made headlines for making a difference to learn from their insights for successful creative climate communication and behavior change. I'm the host, Professor Phaedra Petzullo. Today, our guest is James Wakibia, a professional photographer who lives in Kenya and is an environmental activist credited for galvanizing public support in Kenya for the strictest plastic bag ban in the world in 2017. James also is a team lead at the nonprofit organization Streets of Nakuru. Welcome, James, and thanks for joining me for the first interview for this new podcast. It's a pleasure. All right, let's begin with a little bit of background. James, as your photographs are at the heart of your work as a professional photographer, I'm very interested. As you know, I work in the College of Media Communication and Information. You have a degree in communication and media and say the campaign really started when you were an undergraduate student. What did you study at Edgerton and why, and how was that important to your worldview? Yeah, true. I went to Edgerton University and studied Bachelor of Arts Communication and Media and I think the main reason I was joining that university and uh, to study communication and media is because I had lots of love for photography. And since there was no established school that was training photography here in Kenya, I thought about looking for a course that aligned to what I loved, uh, photography. So I joined it at university to study Bachelor of Arts Communication and Media because it had a photography unit in it. You know, I ended, I ended up uh, getting more than photography. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, and then what, uh, why did you think plastic pollution in Kenya constituted a crisis? Do you remember the moment or uh, the feeling that clicked with you that made you start to think about plastic in particular? Uh, I think uh, we still have the same problem as it was uh, those many years ago. I think plastic uh, is a crisis because so many, so much of it is being produced, you know, every day, you know, the numbers keeps growing, you know, millions and millions of tons <clears throat> are being produced every day. And uh, we don't have the capacity to ensure that that plastic does not end up in the environment. We don't even have the infrastructure to manage that plastic waste. Therefore, it becomes a crisis because once it is left, it enters into the environment or, or it gets into the landfill where it is put on fire or incinerated. So that is why uh, it should be constituted as a crisis. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, this podcast is about communicating care, in part because environmentalists often focus on crisis, but I find that most of us are motivated by someone or something we care about. And so I was wondering, um, what do you uh, believe motivates you or maybe others in Kenya to care enough about this work? I think for me, uh, I have been born, I was born in a very quiet, clean village. And every time I, I visited my village, it's in the country, you know, the rural areas, and breathe, breathe the fresh air and enjoy a complete, uh, you know, environment that is unpolluted, 
it it motivates me to want to live in such an environment, even if it's in town. I want to see an environment that is clean, you know, just like my rural home that has no plastic litter, the air is amazing, clean, you know, that is what keeps keeps me going. It motivates me to, to see that our towns can also be as clean as my rural village. Love that answer. So in the United States, the first person many of us heard advocate for a plastic bag ban in Kenya was the amazing founder of the Green Belt Movement, 2004 Nobel Peace Prize laureate and author Professor Wangari Matai. Can you share if Matai has had any influence on you or if there's any other notable influences on your environmental advocacy? Indeed, uh, efforts or calls to ban plastic bags did not start with me, you know, with me, James Okibia. From 2005, 2007, 2011, Kenya had tried banning plastic bags without success. Wangari Mathai was at the front line advocating for the plastic bag bans for cleaner environment. She was an icon who I greatly admired. I loved her enthusiasm fighting for her environmental and human rights. My campaigns to call for a ban on plastic bags were fueled by anger, mainly. Seeing so much plastic in the environment. Something that I really wanted changed, you know. If I were to point out to one person, one specific person that really inspired me was Wangari Magai. Great. So now let's talk about your 2015 hashtag activism. To start, why did you use Twitter as a platform? I, I fell in love with Twitter. Twitter looks more professional. You know, it has, you know, I, if I were to compare Facebook and Twitter, I think Facebook has so much, a lot of uh, what I would call nonsense. There's so much unregulated content. And it's also very difficult using Facebook to reach or to, to, to direct your message to a specific uh, entity or person. But with Twitter, if you're using, say, for example, using a, a handle, a, a hashtag, you know, a hashtag, first of all, you're able to track it. You're able to know how far it went, how many people were reached, you know. And also, if you wanted to reach a specific person in government, you just tap them, you know. There is no red tape of information. If I wanted to talk to the president and he's on Twitter, I would just tap the president, if I wanted to talk to the Minister for Environment, Madam Judy Wakungu or Professor Judy Wakungu, I just tag her with a message and immediately she opens her phone. The first thing she sees is my message. So Twitter is so powerful. Of course, Facebook is also so powerful, but if I were to compare both of them, I think Twitter is, is excellent. It's superb. That's a great answer. So your first tweet using banned plastic KE was on May 16th, 2015, and it was a retweet of Streets of Nakuru stating, quote, there is power and consistency one tweet after another, but hashtag banned plastic KE in 30 days, much will be accomplished, end quote. Can you say more about your relationship with Streets of Nakuru and that hashtag? Uh, Street, Street Nakuru started as a mere Twitter handle, my Twitter handle. And also a, a blog, uh, you know, I had a blog posting my hometown stories. And uh, in fact, I did quite a lot of advocacy on human rights with a Twitter handle. I remember in 2015, 
I did a campaign to demand a, a certain baby who had de- been detained by a hospital because the, the parents were unable to clear the hospital bills. I used the Twitter handle a lot and the government came in and they paid all the, the bill that was pending. You know, I used the street of Maracuri Twitter handle because I wanted to remain incognito. I did not want so many people to know what I you know, to know the person behind it. I just wanted to do things and, you know, and continue with life as, as usual. But of course, uh, after some time, it became bigger than me. And uh, I opened a WhatsApp group, you know, just a WhatsApp group, which became a grassroots uh, movement. I, I was joined by journalists, activists and bloggers and other people who now helped me to campaign on ban on the plastic bags from around 2014 to 2017. So Street Nakuru started as a, as a Twitter handle, then a WhatsApp group, then it became a grassroots movement. Yeah, and I think it has been very uh, instrumental in my campaigns on ban on plastic bags and other human rights issues that I have been fighting for. You know, I have not only been fighting against plastic and uh, for clean environment, but, but I also have been highlighting a lot about uh, human rights injustices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your first tweet using the hashtag with a photograph was four days later, and it looks like you wrote, why ban plastic KE picture says it all. And you shared a picture of plastic pollution on a hillside with a watermark, I think, for Project PN. And you retweeted this image more than once. So can you say more about that first image? What are we looking at since people on a podcast cannot see your photographs, which is a terrible disadvantage because your photographs are so important. Can you describe it? Why that photograph? And were you even like thinking about an audience at that point? Or what moved you to share that photograph again and again? I I was taking so many pictures of environment uh, polluted by plastic. I think that specific picture I shot uh, near Nakuru's on my hometown's biggest runfield. So, you know, adjacent to the runfield is a farm. And uh, then I saw the plastic bags which were leaving the dump site and getting into the, into the farm. You know, that really hyped me. And I took uh, the picture. I think I shared a lot. Uh, I, sh- I shared the picture a lot uh, on different platforms. And I think uh, what uh, really made me share that picture is the message that was in the picture. You know, it has a green uh, surrounding, if you, look at, if you look at it. And uh, then there is this con- contaminant, the plastic. So basically trying to say plastic is destroying our green environment and which is something that I was really against. And also there is something that uh, I was, you know, since I had been doing Twitter stories from, from Nakuru, about, uh, about Nakuru, in the streets of Nakuru, I had this idea to document the streets. So every day for about a month, I would wake up very early in the morning and take specific kind of pictures of Nakuru town. They could be streets, structures, people, environment. And because I was doing the ban plastic campaign, you know, at some time I thought I should include uh, my pictures of the ban plastic campaign in this new project that I was called, I was calling Project Nakuru. So 
PN, you know, meant Project Nakuru, just to highlight what is ha- the good side of Nakuru, everything about Nakuru. So it was not KPN. The, 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 the image at the front that looks like a K is a film strip, you know, the, the, the sign of a film, because I was taking pictures. So it was project about Nakuru, and Ban Plastic was also a project in Nakuru. So I decided, hey, why not have it in Project Nakuru? That's great. And so that day you also posted an image of a thumb pointing down to a plastic bag with a marker drawn words, bad, hashtag ban plastic KE with another PN watermark on it and a message. I'm always pissed off when someone tells me we can't do anything about bad plastic bags, hashtag ban plastics KE. Can you share more about that image? Was it your thumb? And can you talk about the feelings you had at the time? (laughs) I remember those good old days, 2015. And interestingly, that was not my thumb. You know, that was not my thumb. I can't remember whose it was, but I took it to show thumbs down, you know, like thumbs down for plastic bags, though bad for the environment. So I took so many pictures with many people. It was also a photo I used in the Project Nakuru story. Sometimes, you know, I put them on my blog, uh, the Street Nakuru blog, you know, highlighting different uh, stories about Nakuru. You know, anger makes people do things, you know, good and bad. And to me, and especially for my campaigns, anger gives courage, you know, to speak out, to express it and burn better. Most of, most of the time I acted on pure emotions and my heart is soft and easy to break. So when I see an environment polluted, I feel bad. I know I, my, my heart weeps and I wish that can change. Um, because your photographs are so important to your emotions and to speaking out more than most mm. activists I talk to, um, I'm wondering if you have a theory of photography or a point of view about your photography as An artist, you're not just an everyday person who picks up their phone and takes a picture. Um, You're someone who cares deeply about photography. So is there any way you would describe your philosophy of photography? Uh, I don't know whether there's any way I would be able to describe because I know how powerful a picture is. You know, I have used pictures to bring change. And people want to see pictures to believe something, you know. If there was photography during Jesus' time, Thomas would have requested for a picture evidence. <laughs> Possibly he would have said, where is the picture? Jesus, show us. You know, <laughs> so, I <use> pictures. <laughs> so I use pictures to drive a narrative, to bring people to attention to something, to make them see themselves, you know, and, and what they are capable, capable of. So when I share a picture of a polluted liver, I'm not only sharing what I can see, but what, but also what people are going, are doing and what they ought to do to change. I was lucky enough to spend a semester abroad in Kenya in 1994, which tells you how old I am. So while some (laughs) things were quite similar culturally in the U.S. and Kenya, 
some were different. And I'm wondering, as someone who mostly lives in the United States, is there anything that non-Kenyan accounts of your campaign get wrong or miss about your activism or plastic or photography in Kenya? Or do you find your messages are universal messages? I think the messages that I share resonate with most people, you know, from, from across the world. The problem I am highlighting here in Kenya affects other countries too. It affects somebody in uh, California, United States of America. It affects somebody in, uh, in Morocco. It affects somebody in South Africa, Cape Town. It affects somebody in Philippines. So, you know, I, the message I'm sharing is, is a universal message. Of course, there are a few critics who think plastic pollution problem is a poor country's problem. It's hard to convince them otherwise. We just hope that someday the veil from their, from their eyes will be removed. Others know the problem, but they think or they refuse to acknowledge it because they benefit from it. You know, otherwise, how would you explain petrochemical industries? They know the problem. They are causing the problem. But since they're benefiting from it, they wouldn't, they wouldn't openly acknowledge it. They always try to avoid it and tell people about circular economy, about recycling and all that kind of thing. But the problem is there. Even if they critiqued me, they told me that what you're doing is wrong, that plastic is, it is part of life. It's, they know plastic is not a part of life. We can do and thrive without plastic. Ooh. Okay, so then we're going to shift from your hashtag activism where you were more of an individual talking with a smaller group to what you've said in interviews is the campaign. That at first you weren't trying to do a campaign, you were expressing your own opinions. And then um, the Kenyan, the then Kenyan Cabinet Secretary of Environment and Natural Resources, Professor Judy uh, Wakungu, t- tweeted her public support of your work and of banning plastic bags. So I've heard, I've read you say that she led to you changing your hashtag on September 29th, 2015 to hashtag I support ban plastics KE. Can you explain the adding of I support? Uh, you want to know about how it moved from ban plastic to I support ban plastic? Mm-hmm. Uh, and interestingly, uh, one of those times when we were tweeting or we are doing a Twitter campaign on, on the, the hashtag was called Ban Plastic KE. And it was trending in Kenya. And trending meant, you know, thousands of tweets were, were, were on Twitter and many people were seeing them. And uh, among the many people who were seeing, who were seeing them was the Cabinet Secretary for Environment, Judy Wakumu, which was, which was awesome. <laughs> and uh, she tweeted uh, her support. She just tweeted her support with my hashtag #BanPlasticKK and said she supported #BanPlasticKK, and they were in talks with other stakeholders to see how that was going to be possible. You know, just the fact that she tweeted with my hashtag saying that she supported the ban on plastic bag, you know, meant everything. That was the epitome of my campaign. It was trending and then the government came on Twitter to say that, you know, they supported the ban on plastic bags. So the, the, the hashtag changed, inspired by, by her, by Cabinet Secretary for Environment, because she said 
I support. So then the, the campaign changed from ban plastic KA to I support ban plastic KA because I thought, why not make it personal? Why not personalize the campaign? And from then, I started taking pictures of random people in the street. So I would carry a placard written, I support ban plastic KA. I would meet random people in the street, try to, to tell them what is happening about my campaign, about plastic pollution. And if they felt that indeed plastic was a big problem and it needed to be, the plastic bags needed to be faced out, they would take a picture holding the placard, I support ban plastic A as a sign of commitment that they first supporting my campaign and also they are supporting ban on plastic bags in Kenya. And also it's as if they are taking a, they are signing a petition, but without uh, signing, but taking a picture, which was super awesome because it moved from online campaign to on-ground campaign. And after on-ground campaign, taking pictures, I would rate up possibly at night, now go back online and I share those pictures with people's uh, opinion about why they took that picture and what they believed. What do you think, was there any major shift when you started talking to people? You, you must be a very extroverted person, not very shy, to walk up <laughs> to all these strangers. Um, I know I've done petitions for environmental causes before, and it can be very nerve-wracking. So when you talk to people about the, the issue and then ask them if they would take a picture, was there anything surprising or that struck you about all these other people that you started talking to when they started participating? I think uh, on-ground campaign with uh, I Support Ban Plastic A was, was really em- embraced by you know, by random people. And it, it also, it, it makes it look uh, very nice when you are actually interacting with real people. You know, when you are doing it online, it's different from when you're doing it uh, on, on the ground in the streets. You know, you're meeting random people, you're trying to, to tell them something. Others will just tell you, hey, I'm busy. You know, I have no time for you. Others will be like, oh, what, are, what is it? What are you talking about? So it was very interesting sometimes because, the way I would uh, try to bring them closer, I would use, say, a friend of mine. So, so I would go with a friend in the street. He would take a picture, and then people would be curious, and they'll be like, oh, what's happening? And then I would now talk to them, and then, oh, this is what I'm doing. I'm running a campaign. If you, you, know, you agree with me, you can take this picture, and then we're going to share it online on Twitter. If you have a Twitter handle, I, I'm going to tag you and also follow you. So it was, oh, this is cool. Ah, let me take a picture. You know, so that is how it started and uh, it proceeded on very well. Of course, I met people who are critics. I met a guy in the streets of Nakuru and I tried to talk to him about the message of burning plastic. And he told me, ah, nah, 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 nah. plastic is, is part of life. We can do without it. And I told him, uh, I believe one day plastic bags will be burned. I don't know when. But my campaign is about burning of plastic bags. And sure, one day it will be burned. And he told me, ah, that's impossible. Not in Kenya. I said, okay. I continued. That's amazing. So although you celebrated the ban that came to be, I did read your blog that you were disappointed in the Mm -hmm. final ban. Um, When did the focus become plastic bags as opposed to other plastic waste? And can you explain what more should be included in the ban or could be in the future? 
Uh, I was a bit disappointed because I felt uh, that plastic replaced pl plastic. You know, one form of plastic uh, replaced another form of plastic. From single-use plastic bags to non-woven polypropylene bags. I understand, you know, you, you can't have your cake and eat it. So I just had to accept the situation knowing the alternatives were much better than the previous single-use plastic bags because the non-woven bag, besides you know, of, of course, it being uh, plastic, it was a bit better. It is more reusable. It is a bit heavy, so it cannot be carried by wind and like the previous the previous plastic bag. So somehow I, I I accepted and said, well, let's do with what we have now since uh, it's much better and you can't have your cake and eat it. So I just accepted. And I think uh, to make it, uh, to make the bunch stronger, uh, you know, there is, Kenya, Kenya alone cannot uh, work without its neighbors, you know. If Kenya has banned plastic bags and its neighbors, Uganda, Tanzania, Somali, Ethiopia, Sudan, have not banned plastic bags, it's very difficult to implement that, that ban because uh, for us borders, of course, plastic bags will be coming in, whether we like it or not. So ultimately, it's going to be a regional issue. We have to address plastic pollution as a regional problem and come with uh, probably a policy, an East African policy or uh, an African policy or a global treaty to address plastic pollution. That's what we need because individual countries cannot be able to completely solve the issues of the environment, especially on plastic pollution. They need to work together. One of the questions that I've been thinking about a lot is how Kenya has the strictest plastic bag ban in the world, or the strictest plastic ban in the world, with the highest fines and potential of jail time. And I'm wondering how you feel about that and if there are any alternatives to policing everyday people that you support. I think I know the answer from having read some of your pieces online, but I wanted to ask you. If it were not for the strictness of the ban, people would still be using banned plastic bags. You know? They wouldn't care about when they, they wouldn't care when they know the fines are, aren't so punitive. But when the fines are punitive, people, people fear they will keep off. And again, policing is not always the best approach. You know, we, we, nobody wants to be policed all the time. It's not the best approach, especially when it comes to bringing change. I think an active public awareness is key, but sometimes people need policing as a speed bump, you know, to control their speed, to remind them that, hey, we have, you know, we have uh, overspeeded. We need to, to limit ourselves. We are using it too much, you know. So I think uh, policing is a form of uh, a control, you know. Sometimes we, not all of us are good, you know. Most of us, like me, I am good. I know if I, read, I don't need to be policed. But not everybody, majority needs to be, to be followed up by the law. So somehow the, so the law comes to support and to remind people who they actually are and that they need to be controlled sometime to protect uh, the environment for everybody's good, you know.
Um, what has been the impact of the ban overall? It's been a couple years now, a few years. What has yeah. been the impact? Like, what is the change you've seen since 2014, 2015, when you started to today? Do you already see a difference in that short period of time? Yeah, yeah, that's a fantastic question. Uh, I have seen lots of change. You know, I was involved, uh, you know, from the from the word go into this campaign, and I had documentary evidence of plastic bags polluting the environment. I would see plastic in the streets, not even in the drain. Plastic bags, somebody just dropping a plastic bag on the street, you know. And I would see when it, when it was very windy, the plastic bags would be lifted by wind. And they would go away. They would be cleaning on trees. Some trees look like uh, multicolored flowers with so many kinds of plastic bags, yellow, green, red, all kinds. Today, you can't see such. There is none. In the drains, when it rained, those plastic bags normally used to clog the drains and often it would flood. I know it has reduced drastically, you know. The only problem we have now is plastic bottle. But as for plastic bags, I would say, I think we have, the, the ban has uh, been successful. 80%, I'm not a, a scientist, but I would, in my own opinion, it has been quite uh, successful. And I, that I approve the government. It's been doing good. <laughs> I'm not a very, I'm not one of the guys that uh, always proud of the government in most cases. I, I am very, I'm a very big critic of the government. But when they do something good, especially for protecting the environment and on the ban on plastic bag, I, you know, I give them congrats and, uh, you know, appreciate their work. I respect that answer. Um, yeah. So now that we've talked about these two hashtag campaigns or your activism in the campaign um, and your well-known successes in communicating care, I do want to talk to you a little bit more about the backlashes or challenges to anti-plastic advocacy. Um, To begin, I've heard you talk about how some question your motives or say a ban will hurt jobs as part of their resistance to your work. Um, do you have any evidence of how the ban has impacted jobs or do you have any responses to that critique or other backlash voices in Kenya you would like to address? It's true the ban uh, definitely uh, you know, impacted uh, jobs. You know, companies were closed down and the people lost their livelihood. But I know they also got other opportunities. You know, when uh, this fails... You don't stick on it, you move on. Ultimately, the the, the good of the majority, you know, Kenya has over 50 million people, you know, and you cannot say that 100,000 or jobs supporting 100,000, which are hurting the environment, must keep on, you know, despite uh, destroying the environment, they should keep on. No, at some time we need to bite the bullet. Let a few people suffer for the benefit of the majority. So that is what I would say. I know definitely some people lost their jobs, and I pray they, they got other alternative jobs. But ultimately, the benefits of a clean environment are for everybody, even those who lost their jobs. And, uh, and the general population, 
enjoy the clean environment from ban on plastic bars. And I know wherever they are, if they would see me today, they would, be, they would tell me, you led our company to close down. But anyway, we appreciate that we have a cleaner environment, which is far much better than a degraded environment because a degraded environment brings in so many things. We are going to hospitals a lot. There are so many diseases because of our polluted environment. If our environment was much cleaner, less people would be visiting hospitals. You know, there'll be less hospital visits just because of a clean environment. In the U.S., as you may know, there's been at least three main backlash critiques against plastic bags. And I'm wondering if you're willing to share responses to any, so I'll go through them. The first is that some disability rights advocates have claimed it is eco-ableism to attack disposable plastic bands, especially straws. I know you have interviewed people with disabilities who are anti-plastic advocates, and I value your perspective here. Who or what do you think is important to consider when it comes to anti-plastic advocacy and disability? For example, you you said earlier you think we could get rid of all plastic, Um, And I think a lot of disability activists think we can get rid of some, but we still need to keep other plastic. So I'm wondering if you have any responses. I know this is a topic you've thought and written about. Uh, I know plastic is not entirely bad. You know, there are plastics that are very beneficial, you know, for, for, for life. You know, there are plastics that are being used in hospitals. Even uh, the PPE in hospital is plastic. Our face masks, you know, are plastic. So approaching that, that, that question can be, can be tricky sometimes when it comes to somebody who is relying on, heavily relying on plastic for, for life, you know. So sometimes you need just to understand them because you do not know where you'll be. You, you might end up you know, in that specific specific, uh, situation. So I think it's just a matter of understanding what they are going through and also trying to to pray and uh, hope that better alternatives will come in and replace these plastics because uh, plastics came in just a few years ago and people used to live and thrive. You know, so my my hope is that uh, there will be some innovation, and people are going to bring in uh, alternatives that are sustainable. I know, for example, for straws, which many people rely on, people said we 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 cannot do without straws, but today they are bamboo straws, they are stainless steel straws, they are all kinds of straws. They are even straws made from biodegradable material, which is sustainable. So even if they were against plastic, I know in future we'll have more sustainable products. The second critique I hear the most in the United States are those who claim straw or plastic bag bans are missing the big picture. They place the blame on placing individual consumers instead of large companies. I've seen you post about the petrochemical industry. Can you say more about how plastic pollution is both an individual and collective problem or any other response do you have to that line of criticism? I have not been so much a vocal on uh, a plastic uh, pollution problem being and uh, an individual problem or consumer problem. I don't blame the consumers 
for plastic uh, waste in the environment. Because I feel sometimes the con consumer is left helpless, you know. You are left with, uh, you buy a soda, you know, and then you are left with the plastic bottle here and you are told to recycle it. How do you begin recycling it? First of all, there is no re infrastructure to recycle plastic. In the, the hometown I live, you can count the number of plastic uh, recycling companies. And most of, the most of them are so tiny, they cannot you know, cope with the amount of plastic that is coming in every day. You know? So I think uh, I wouldn't want to bring the consumer. Of course, they have a responsibility to ensure that they do not litter and their plastics do not end up hurting the, the environment. Like I take pictures of a river down here that is so polluted with plastics. And most of those plastics are plastic drink waters, Coca-Cola, Fanta, you know, all kinds of beverage, water. They're ending up in the river and ultimately to a, to a small lake here. And I always say, if that lake was, all the water in the lake was removed, that lake may be looking like a big dump site of plastic. So everybody has a role. The consumer has a role, but I can't blame the consumer. I blame the petrochemical industry that knows the problem but continually keeps producing single-use pl plastics that are of poor quality, cannot be recycled. And I also blame the government for not enacting policies that will ensure plastic waste is properly managed, plastic waste is recycled. There is, you know, the circular economy is promoted so that we don't have to have a problem, you know, with consumers wondering what to do with the plastic bottle. If such uh, facilities are available, there is a bottle deposit scheme, there are recycling companies, you know, there are bins everywhere, waste is sorted at source, and we still have problem in the environment of plastic, then I will blame the consumer. But since we don't have it, I blame the government and the petrochemical industries and companies using plastic for packaging. So my next question follows up from that one and is because most people who will listen to this are based in the US. We're speaking English because of colonialism. And I'm wondering, given Kenya's long history with British colonialism, U.S. transnational corporations, some of which you just mentioned, and now China investing heavily in Kenya. Do you have anything to say about your plastic advocacy that connects beyond Kenyan or even regional borders um, that you think maybe people in what some people call the first world or the global north should feel responsible for what's happening or connected to your story? I think the bigger picture, the bigger picture, and most people don't see it, is that petro, uh, plastics come from fossil fuel. And the people with the resources to extract fossil fuel are the people or companies in the global north. It is the global north that has resources to do that, to extract oil and to make plastic. You know, so I have had an issue with them and trying to explain that the problems are affecting, you know, the global south are problems, you know, coming from the global north. The reasons we are suffering environmental injustices, especially of pollution, all kinds of pollution. 
Well, you froze just a moment. Can you say that one line again? You said the reason why we're suffering pollution. Do you remember what you said after that? Because you froze for a moment. The, the reason we are suffering pollution, all kind of environmental pollution, is because of the investments the global north have been doing, especially in oil exploration and manufacturing of plastics. You know, even when you mention about climate change, climate change is as a result of the global north. African countries have not been so much you know, endowed with the resources to exploit uh, fossil fuel. You know, and even where it is happening in Africa, most of those companies are from global north. They're the big companies like uh, ExxonMobil, they are Shell, they're the big uh, petrochemical industry. And uh, whoever they are, they are from global north. So the blame must always be directed to the global north. They must ensure that what they are doing does not affect poor countries and then end up blaming poor countries for environmental pollution and all that. Everything is, you know, just to say, it comes from the government. We're in a situation where we are held hostage, you know. We, we want to develop, but... The global north, we have to use the, the resources and the expertise and everything from the global north. We have to use their oil. We have to use everything, their plastics. So we are held hostage in a way we can't develop without thinking about the global north. Um, the last critique, I don't know if it is relevant to Kenya, so I just wanted to ask you, because I just might not know, the third main critique in the U.S. is from conservatives who hate all environmentalists, all environmental policy, and they call something like plastic bans um, overreach of the government into personal lives, and they say they're unnecessary. So I'm hoping they're not. there's not, but is there an equivalent to Trump? or conservatives in the U.S. and Kenya that you consider part of like a Kenyan anti-environmental backlash? Is there someone I should know about or is that less of an issue there? Uh, they are not, uh, they, they have not come up uh, so big as uh, individuals, but they exist as lobby groups, you know, lobby groups that are championing for, for the interests of their either employers or companies. For example, Kenya has Kenya Association of Manufacturers that, you know, fights for the interest of their members, the producers, the manufacturers, you know, those. So those are the people who had who have issues with plastic ban. In fact, they they went to court, you know, when Kenya banned plastic, they went to court, but uh, ultimately the judge said that all their plea, you know, was not heard because they just said, this is a matter of great public interest. The benefits are for the general good. So basically, we don't have so much of Trump's here. And uh, I know Trump is a person who never believed in uh, climate change. He never believed in anything. So we don't have such, uh, possibly they are there, but they are not very vocal. I have not heard them yet. You are lucky. Um, so, uh, three years ago, you tweeted your hashtags were officially closing 
And another one that the message had sunk and it was time to move on. Is there anything you want to say about the decision or what your focus is now? I know you were in the newspaper today about e-waste. Is there something that you're focusing now instead of on the banned plastic AE? Oh, yeah, I closed uh, that chapter, the ban plastic uh, KE chapter, when the government announced the ban. And really, I think that, that was the best, uh, the best move because you have to move on and uh, to do other things. But uh, I think even then, I had already started mentioning about the issue of plastic bottles, you know, not being uh, properly managed, the issue of solid waste. Uh, management being poor and their lack, the lack of proper investment to ensure that there is uh, proper solid waste management and all that. And of course, uh, currently I, I'm doing more of uh, creating awareness, you know, uh, telling the government what to do, telling people what to do to ensure that plastic, especially plastic bottles do not end up in the environment. I am not advocating for ban on plastic bottle because I think we are not yet uh, fair yet. I, I, I still believe that uh, this thing, this word, circular economy, which is still a buzzword, uh, someday is going to be, it's going to happen. And most of these plastic bottles will be recycled. I'm still trying to ask for policy on bottle deposit and return schemes. So uh, my main thing right now is just to ensure that there is, uh, you know, uh, better management of plastic uh, plastic waste. I wish I could talk to you all day, James, but you've been very generous with your time. So my last question, is there anything else you'd like to add? Maybe you'd like to share something about your shift to the slogan, less plastic is fantastic or anything else? Oh, less plastic is fantastic always. I have personally try to avoid plastic uh, in my life. It's very difficult, but I have, I think I've been uh, successful at most times trying to use less plastic because I feel less plastic is in, less plastic in the environment. You know, the, the environment uh, flourishes. The environment is much better without plastic. But of course, it cannot completely be without plastic. So less plastic. I wish people can try to avoid the, most of their necessary plastics in their life. If you are a person that uses a plastic bottle every day, buying, buying water every day or soda, you can always try use some other sustainable alternative, which will end up helping you and saving you a lot of money. Because I feel... People are also wasting a lot of money buying bottled water every day without knowing they're actually buying the plastic and all the water because water is so uh, available and affordable at home. Just uh, enjoy, you just carry your water from home and you, you wouldn't be buying it. And at the end of the day, you also end up helping the environment, you know, cause conserving the environment. So ultimately, I think less plastic is, is fantastic. And of course, uh, the word... Less plastic is fantastic. Was inspired by 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 the, by Mr. Trump, by President Trump. You know when he called uh, there's something he mentioned about uh, I don't know fantastic. I think what he, he was mentioning about Africa 
being um, quite a bad word. <laughs> you know, I don't want to mention the bad word uh, because of uh, this is a scholarly you know, conversation. <laughs> it needs some respect. And I feel we need less of Trump, you know, less of plastic in the environment. We just need everything sustainable, things that can biodegrade, things can get back into the cycle of life. Even human beings who are made in such a way that you get to a certain age, you die. You get into the ground, you are eaten up by organisms and worms and what, you become part of nature. So should any other product, if we make plastic, we should have an idea about how that plastic we either get into circular economy or how it will biodegrade and disappear completely. But if we make a product that lives for eternity, really, without thinking about the impact it's going to cause in the environment, then I think we are not thinking about the future. Our kids, what are, where are they going to live? You know, if they are going to be living in an environment swamped with plastic. You know, if you've seen my pictures about a river, I take pictures Every year, like I go there about like four times every year or five times every year. There are plastics always. We have done countless cleanups, you know, but the problem persists. That tells you the problem is plastic. You don't find any other kind of waste because if it's uh, food waste, biodegrades, it's eaten up by things in the river, by plastic. Nobody wants plastic. No fish want plastic. No turtle wants plastic. Nobody wants to eat plastic, you know, but sorry to say, it's in the fish we are eating, it's in the air we are breathing, it's in the land we are tilling to grow food and what, it's in the water we are drinking, it's everywhere. So it's really so sad. And that's why we need less plastic because less plastic is fantastic. Thank you so much, James Wakibia, for joining me today for a longer conversation about your important work in Kenya. If people are interested in learning more from James Wakibia, his Twitter handle is at James Wakibia. His photography for this campaign remains online on Twitter and on Facebook at Streets of Nakuru, and his continued journalism work, which I highly recommend reading, is available on Medium at jwakibia.medium.com. All these links are available at the Just Transition Collaborative website, which you can find at www.colorado.edu backslash JTC.